0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability here on Straight Independent Radio. We're sponsored by NeuroDiversityConsulting.org and by Sanjia.org. Check us out online to find out all the great things that we do with people with disabilities. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. And I'm joined today by my colleagues, Liza Citron, future special education teacher, disabled advocate, and an autistic self-advocate. I'm also joined by my colleague, Jeremy Pierce, PhD philosopher, and my husband and fellow autism parent. Missing at the moment is our regular guest, Scott Davis. He's having some issues, so hopefully he'll be able to join us later. Today, we're going to be talking about the American with Disabilities Act. It was a piece of landmark legislation that opened, theoretically, opened the doors for disabled people to be able to participate in American life. The act is now 31 years old, which is younger than me and a lot older than you, Liza, so we're going to be talking about how this legislation came about, how it changed people's lives, and what still needs to happen for disabled people to be fully integrated into American society. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the integration of a population that is still segregated from the general population in a lot of ways. Now, Liza, I know that you have been doing some research, you, because you are studying. Disability Rights, the Disability Movement, and Education. You've been deep in this for a while now. So why don't we start with you and talk a little bit about what led up to the American with Disabilities Act?
1: Well, yes, I am studying it more than my capacity as a student who is going for a special education degree. I am also a disability studies minor. So that really focuses in on these things. One of the things that really led up to this, when you think about it and people at the time said, was the civil rights movement for people of color, specifically in general, black people. The things that were being gone after, the the goals were similar, albeit tailored to disability rather than racial segregation. But a lot of the methods, a lot of the ways in which things took after, that was similar and to a certain degree inspired by the civil rights movement a decade, however earlier, because again, this is a gradual process. It's not something that you can particularly set a date to. There have been been things beforehand that had been leading up to it. Some of the notable cases came up in the Supreme Court when parents escalated their issues, often with the the defendant being the school district, whatever school district they were in. One of these notable cases that I think is the more well-known of the perhaps three is Board of Education of the Hendrick Hudson Central School District, or just often known as Board of Education, versus Rowley. This was a case in which Amy Rowley, a then first grader, her age varied during the case. She was hard of hearing, and they tried an interpreter in kindergarten, but her, sco- her scores and grades were high enough that they determined, oh, she doesn't need this service because Mm. she can either lip read or she can, she has other ways of accessing the curriculum. And this case really developed the question of do, is the legislation not ADA, but IDEA, which was put in place before that, the individuals with disabilities, disabilities education act, act. Mm-hmm. individuals with disabilities education act which was put in place before that and had a major amendment and revamp in 2001 which is why you will hear idea 01 sometimes this really legislated what exactly that meant it legislated okay, do we mean for disabled students to just be in the building and we don't care what happens thereafter? That's good enough. Or do we care about them getting a substantive education and, as the term would come to be known, a free and appropriate public education, or often known as FAPE. The decision was made that essentially Congress only intended For children to, students to, disabled students to just set foot in the schools. They didn't care about, their intention wasn't to care about what happened once the children and students got in there. That changed with this case and with a few other cases. Alberti deals with supplementary aids and services, and whether that is included as a fundamental part of FAPE, free and appropriate public education. And this one determined that yes, they have to include it, that they have to include the aids and they have to include the child in as many programs as possible to the maximum extent that they can. So, the preference for <clears throat> the preference for in class services rather than pull out services that sort of thing and then we get another but another landmark case called andrew versus douglas county school district this one was a lot more recent but it did have some major changes it also focused on the level of education that the school had to provide do they have to provide everything for the student to get as close to an education of an able student as they would otherwise be getting? Is their disability getting in the way of their learning? And if so, how do we accommodate that? So this centrally focused on accommodations. And a lot of these cases are done in terms of schools, but these really set the bar for other cases in other environments.
0: Now let's talk a bit about the role of the deaf community in really helping to drive the move for us to have the ADA. I I've I've, I've studied American Sign Language, and a big part of that is learning about deaf culture, and a, a, a part the part of deaf culture that really impresses me, that I'm really appreciative of, is the the, first of all, to create the deaf culture. And second, the push for having it codified in law that people who are deaf need to be included in things, needed to have accommodations, needed to be able to access. And they worked in concert with other disabled groups of advocates to really fuel the movement to create the ADA. I wanna talk about that a little bit and how the deaf, deaf culture helped to give us what we have now with respect to protections for disabled people. Liza, do you wanna comment on that? Yeah,
1: sure. I think that the fact that deaf individuals had a culture or we're able to unify as a community definitely helped in that they were able to push for legislation concerning them and 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 such, I also think that the actions of the deaf community in the community and the formation of that as technology increases really allowed for disability communities to start specific disability communities and for the autism community on Twitter, especially, and other social media now, which is particularly strong to begin and potentially fight for what we feel we need and sign petitions and get these things out there. So the formation of a community around disability, although they would not consider it a disability, is incredibly important when you talk about influencing legislation and fighting for accommodations and accessibility.
0: Jeremy, I want I want to get your input on this, about the, the history of the ADA, what led to it, what were some of the moral arguments that people were using for it. Uh, we know that because it was such a fight and such a push, we know that the people there were people who were like, "No, we don't need to do that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk about that for a little bit, and then we can move into talking about how the country began to adjust as the aDA was made law.
1: Before you do, there was one thing I forgot to say that the deaf President now movement at Gallaudet, where all the students gathered and protested for the president of the university to actually be deaf rather than hearing. And I think that set up a lot of the stuff about able, disabled people being able to protest for what exactly we need and protest for representation. That
2: was 1988. The, the resistance to some of the things that the ADA did and some of the court cases that came before it, I, I would say, and I guess some of the court cases that came after it, came from side issues. Well, not side issues, but they, they were not the main issue, which was whether it's good to accommodate people and good to include people. But the things about the cost of doing so, things about, I mean, it, it's, its it takes money and time mm-hmm. and work to redo your parking lot to provide handicapped parking spots or to put in ramps or elevators or or things like that right that that's a, that's a, a large financial cost it takes work and cost to hire tas and having to rethink how you teach and things like that if you're going to if you're going to include people with certain kinds of disabilities in education and accommodate them properly and so on so that that was one of the factors i guess
0: this this issue that, that always comes up when we're talking about people with disabilities is how much it costs to mm-hmm. include us. How much it costs to include us. We're putting a essentially putting a monetary value on a person that on a person's life a person's involvement in in public life because they have a disability.
1: Unfortunately that's something that's happened to marginalized and minority communities, regardless of which one we're talking about for quite a while. So it's a phenomenon that, that happens not only to disabled individuals, but to minoritized and marginalized groups and individuals in general.
2: There, Along the way here, you had lots of actual laws and states that required certain kinds of disabilities not to be accommodated they they they, they required mm-hmm. that people there was a separate but equal kind of argument which was why one of the main arguments for the ada was parallel to the civil rights movement kind of argument. oh yeah
1: yeah there's we, in last fall yeah last fall we studied exactly how for example some of the cases here parallel brown versus board
2: i don't remember exactly when along the process that changed that might have been in the predecessor to idea idea was mm-hmm. it, it was it was um idea was actually 1990 it was the same time as the ada but the there was a predecessor yeah. act that was in place for uh, maybe a decade earlier i think it was 82.
1: yeah ea and i i have to correct myself when i was talking earlier about idea um the intention of idea I meant E A C H A, because that was the predecessor, and it essentially turned into idea.
2: Now, is that is that when schools were public schools were required to include people with any disability, or was that later? I can't remember. If I remember, I remember there cor- was a court case about that as well.
1: If I remember correctly, it was a subset of
2: E A C H A.
1: Yes. Labs. So
2: that was that was 1982
1: then. But it was subject to interpretation. Is the thing, like I said, the Supreme Court had to ter- had to determine exactly how Congress intended it, and one of the cases that determine what you were asking about, it, in essence, to a certain, depending on which area you're talking about, all three of the cases that I mentioned earlier apply to that.
2: And even in the ADA, there are certain kinds of conditions that are explicitly excluded yep. at, from counting as disabilities because the state has a purpose of treating those differently antisocial kleptomania pedophilia exhibitionism voyeurism and so on because those i mean antisocial doesn't involve crimes but all the others are defined in terms of crimes and antisocial is a condition that kind of i mean it involves not recognizing moral and and legal yes. requirements as applying to oneself so it it's not it's not a um that's not, a, that's not a, an inappropriate stigmatization associated with a disability, like certainly does occur with other ones. But those disabilities are defined in terms of someone who's not able to uh, function as well in terms of a legal, legal set of standards and so on.
1: And I think we have to so, acknowledge that laws are based on the prevailing thoughts of the time in many ways. And oftentimes disability was seen as a moral failure or something bad that happens to someone or something that you put on yourself, especially when we talk about disability and mental
2: illness. Yeah, and they've yeah. changed what counted as a disability as yes. beliefs in society have changed about certain certain things. For example, homosexuality was considered a disability in it no longer yep. is. And what is now called gender dysphoria is I mean I think it's I think it's still listed in the DSM as a as a mental
1: disorder yes the dysphoria still is but it's uh, defined differently
2: than it used to be it used to be defined so that anyone who's transgender would be included and now it's defined so that only people who are uncomfortable with the the fact that they're transgender uh, that that's a mental disorder Hmm. but I don't know if that I don't know if that counts as or ever counted as a disability I think it might have at one point so that that's just an example where as people's moral and political views have changed, the what counts as a disability legally has changed. And there were certain things that certain states had just said, if you have this condition, you're not allowed to put in the public schools. And mm-hmm. it took active legislation and court cases to change that in some cases. Yep. Yep. So one of the major issues was simply, are you present in the building? <laughs> Are you even allowed to be president of the building?
1: Oh, exactly. And, and, that's
2: and, what... and that was a big hurdle. That wasn't sufficient, but that was at least a big hurdle that, that the ADA helped uh, overcome.
1: Exactly. And like I said, some cases, the interpretation was basically, this, especially with the Rowley case, when it made it to the Supreme Court, is the intention of the EACHA when Congress discussed it and, and passed it? Is the intention thereof to just have children in the building? That's what we need. They need to be there. Or is it to give them a substantive education, which would which would in many cases require more work and accommodation?
0: Now, I, I want to get us back to discussing the, the history of the ADA, the lead up to it. As the legislation was being written and being considered, in in Washington, DC, there were two, I guess, two main groups of opposition that coalesced who were uh, against the ADA, against certain aspects of it. And those two groups were religious groups and business interests, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, And both both groups had this very similar reasons for opposing the ADA both groups, cost was a big part of opposing the a d a for religious groups a big part of another part of it was also about an an improper inclusion in of federal government into religious into religious life into religious organizations so let's talk about that a little bit with you know I'm particularly fascinated with with the, the religious group's opposition as we all share the share a, a, a same faith as we're all Christians and recognizing that a lot of Christian groups opposed the ADA, which sounds like a conflict with a lot of our, a lot of the foundational elements of Christian faith. Let's explore that a little bit. One objection was that it was going to cost too much. For churches, uh, religious organizations, to to retrofit their buildings so that people with disabilities can be included, and the other was that they found it intrusive that the government was saying that y'all should make accommodations so you can so that people with disabilities can also be implied, apply, employed. My goodness, in your organizations, let's let's dig into that a little bit.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, I- Fascinating, well,
0: but, like, disturbingly fascinating. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, the unwillingness to kind of retrofit your buildings, we've seen that with the building in which our office is. Our office is in the basement wing of an old Methodist church. And there are so many things there that are against and and in conflict with ADA regulations. I know, Sam, you were the one doing research on this and checking everything out. And I made a whole list. <laughs> yeah, the fact that there is a whole list to go on just shows that this is still an issue.
0: And some some of those accommodations that would bring the the facility into ADA compliance, they're not they're not this big thing. It's like you change. Change the doorknobs to a handle that you can that can be manipulated in lots of different ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lever actually, style
1: lever, lever, lever style door handle. Yeah. above knobs.
0: So Jeremy, I want you to tackle this a little bit because you know you also delve into theology quite a bit, and um you know the way that the American Church has 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 grown and how it functions. Was there a theolo- really a theological basis for the were the objections to the ADA, or was this mostly just, you know, it costs too much money and we don't want the government telling us what to do? I, th-
2: I think they had a First Amendment concern. They, mm. The First Amendment has two, two provisions that relate to religion. One of them is the Establishment Clause, which says that a state or the federal government may not set up its own state religion which has been interpreted by the Supreme Court much more fully than what it actually says. What it actually says is you can't have a state church like the Church of England. Uh, that's what it actually says. But um, the way it's been interpreted is in light of Thomas Jefferson's language of, of a wall of separation between the, uh, the church and the state, which is not in the Constitution. It's just in the private writings of Thomas Jefferson, uh, where he thought that there needed to be a hard line between the churches and government in, in a way that later generations interpreted as the, the government can't do anything religious. And so in the, in the most extreme forms of this view, any religious statement by any elected office officer of the state or any, any uh, appointed officer of the state is unconstitutional, therefore. But the Supreme Court has not gone that far with it. But they certainly have used that to... Um, to disallow teaching of certain things in public schools and that kind of thing. They see that as a violation of the Establishment Clause. Uh, So that's one religious issue that comes up from this. But the one that comes up with um, the ADA was the other one, which is the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. The Free Exercise Clause says the government shall not do anything to prevent the free exercise of religion, which actually comes into conflict with that other interpretation that I was just saying, if you tell if you tell for example Barack Obama that he couldn't pray i use him as an example because um he would do this even though he was of the i mean it tend to be more people on the left who would, who would give this argument although libertarians sometimes would as well on the on the right but um Barack Obama would 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 show up at a prayer gathering uh, and so on I, I, well he couldn't do that if you take one particular interpretation of that but it's in conflict with the free exercise right he has a free exercise of religion, right? Why can't he show up at some prayer breakfast or whatever, right? So um, that's 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 the sort of the general issue that people sometimes debate about a little bit. Um, the free exercise clause has been taken by people on more on the political right to be relatively absolute, and people on the left are more willing to restrict it in general, just in their political discourse in general. It, it doesn't always have to do with theology. They, they, sometimes people will will not have a theological reason for doing something, but if a church is doing something, they will they will say they can't be interfered with, even if they have no theological reason for for doing it. Mean, there's no theological reason for discriminating against people with disabilities. But, and and I, I well, I mean, there might be. There might have a religion that does.
1: I I actually have
2: Judaism has some examples <laughs> historically.
1: Kind of. Right? Yes. Although this is a scripture I mean, that Christianity would also be yeah, I mean,
2: ex- excluding people from from priestly duties, for example, if they have exactly a disability. um yeah.
1: Deuteronomy twenty-three, twenty-one. I'm not gonna read it, but basically saying any man with mutilate, mutilation right. <clears throat> or or injury right. is not to enter the house of the Lord. And That has often been interpreted, I'm not as certain about Christianity, but that has often been interpreted by Judaism. And I think I've seen it in certain sects of Christianity to mean anyone who is quote unquote to them damaged.
2: Physically disabled. Yes. Yeah.
1: Or it also sometimes people even apply it to other disabilities is not to be included in the assembly and that comes down to the theological reason behind and okay do you you consider this okay or is this a uh, a situation where the government needs to get involved or something needs to happen there
2: right and i i actually have not heard of a case of a general rule in any christian circle where they just will simply not allow someone with a physical disability to attend. No, uh, it, I, I've never heard of a case like that. I've heard if of anything, that cases. would be.
1: If anything, that would be unspoken. But we, it's we also, experienced
2: a particular case of, of being told that uh, that our son was not welcome. At a, at a yeah, and
1: it's also so. It's either an unspoken rule more often than not, or it's just you're not allowed to serve or do anything, so you're pretty much not allowed to be part of the community.
2: So, I mean, that, that's the one kind of case that I can think of yeah. where there might be a, relig- like a particularly religious reason rather than it's the cost or something like that. This was a big deal in the 80s. Um, they, in the ADA, they, they listed it being HIV positive as mm-hmm. a disability. Mm-hmm. And in the 1980s, most people on the political right, especially religious people, were especially associating that with homosexuality and
1: and so saw it as a moral failure
2: they they, yeah yeah and i think that might have been part of it they were also the science of it wasn't as well known then and they were really paranoid about getting it from someone who might be in their proximity they didn't quite understand very well how it was transferred they thought that you might get it from someone breathing near you and things like that. That was a very, very common misunderstanding because the science of it was not well-known and people yeah. were spreading misinformation and that sort of thing. That, I mean, it makes sense. It's not, sense. It's, yeah, it's not, just, it's not just with COVID that people spread misinformation. It's been going on for, exactly. few, for, for centuries and, and millennia <laughs> that people spread misinformation about things. One of the things that was was motivating at least certain groups was that they didn't think they should be expected to allow people with HIV to be in their congregation because they thought it was mm-hmm. a danger to the people who were present and i didn't I don't think it helped that there was a stigmatization of sexual behavior that they disapproved of. I didn't think or or drugs that was also the other association people would get it from drugs, um, sharing needles um, and that kind of thing. to be quite honest with you, as someone who was a teenager during this time period, most of the people I knew who were saying things like this would have been perfectly happy with someone who got HIV from a blood transfusion showing up in their church, as long as they're careful. <laughs> That's how they would have put it, right? And and they would probably have a conversation with them if they knew about it and, yeah. and want to make sure that, 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 that they're going to be careful and, and not let anyone get it. So I, I but, but they're, probably different in different cultural circles and and that sort of thing but the people that i knew probably would have said something like that but but nevertheless there were people who were worried about that and i i I, there were people who wrote about that so that's that's out there as some of the opposition to one particular component of the ada so and and that was partly religiously motivated i think but there's
0: a there was a lot of a lot of complicated reasons why religious organizations were were objecting to the ADA, not good reasons. That's my opinion. I don't think they were good reasons, but there were a lot of complicated reasons why religious organizations were objecting to the ADA. And they won their exemption from having to follow the ADA, which leads us to today where, you know, a lot of times a lot of religious organizations don't make space for people with disabilities to participate in religious life. I'd say that was a big misstep on the part of religious organizations. Now, the, the next big group to object to the ADA was the groups and business interests. And their main objection was that it was going to cost too much. It was going to bankrupt small businesses. It was going to ruin ruin the American economy, uh, which I think was a little bit over the top. Um, you know, we've 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 managed to mess up the economy without the help of disabled people, to be honest. <laughs> from from this side of history, it kind of boggles the mind that businesses were so adamant about not engaging with customers. Were disabled. Yes, they didn't want our money, <laughs> which makes no business sense to me whatsoever. Uh, and yet now side, products
1: and yet now products for disabled individuals are so much higher priced than yeah. anything else because they think that we're going to pay whatever they will do because there's no other option. So yeah. that's an odd dichotomy there. So
0: from this side mean, of this- history, it makes good business sense to promote to build your business and promote your business as disability friendly because that's an underserved population. I gotta tell you if the cafe opens up and they're like we are totally accessible, our staff has been trained, they know what to do, these people would be swamped with customers. Jeremy you were gonna say?
2: Wasn't there also provisions about hiring like you can't discriminate against someone because they have a disability or was that already in place? (laughs)
0: Yeah, that that was part of the the uh, religious groups' objection in that they wanted to they saw that as an intrusion of the government into their religious freedom. Yep, and telling telling them telling employers that they can't discriminate against people with disabilities. And, and
1: unfortunately, them. even with those laws, you're either hired because you were disabled just to fill a quota, or you are told another reason why you are not hired, even though it was really disability.
2: Well, I mean, the law doesn't require quotas. No. So if but people are doing that, the they're doing it the, on their own.
1: Yes. But that's the way it's been implemented today. Specifically, they get around the provision for the non-discrimination provision by I giving say, people other reasons.
2: So they'll discriminate, but they'll hire one person to say, see, we don't discriminate. Is that what you mean?
1: Hmm. Uh, no, no. They Well, that's the quota part. But like, let's say I went to an interview in my wheelchair, using my wheelchair, because I was either having a bad day or I didn't want to be dishonest or whatever reason. They... Could see my disability and not hire me because of that, but give me another reason, a different reason as to why they weren't hiring me so they wouldn't be in the wrong. And that is something that happens a lot of the time and how people get around certain clauses in the ADA. And this is applicable to a lot of other areas as well, similar things here. It's the way of getting around it.
2: And just that's the way it manifests. I mean, when you when you when you have a choice between hiring seven people and one of them happens to have a disability, there's no legal requirement to give a reason why you hire that one rather than the other ones, right? So I just after a lot of people sue and they say I was not hired because I have a disability, and then they explain their reasoning. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this works. When when why are they giving a reason? There's no legal requirement of that, right? No, there isn't.
1: But I guess to
2: maybe maybe with lawsuits when people say I was I guess, yeah, for to make reason. sure
1: that they to make sure that yeah. they people don't think they're discriminatory. I
2: guess. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I don't know. I, I I don't know how I don't know what the legal issues are with with those sorts of issues. I know with race issues there's there's uh, it's only after lawsuits come that that yes. uh, that they have to kind of justify what their decisions are. Exactly. And and then the only way really to look at it is is there a is there a trend? Do we see the applications in higher numbers than they're hiring and things like that? Exactly. Uh, is there something uh, that, that, that leads them to to hire too yeah. too few of this group and more of this group and so on?
1: That's just the point. How they how they get around these things.
2: But it's very hard to make an argument. Yes. And that's why. The, they are protected by the fact the nature of how numbers work. Yep. Right. I mean, someone could be actively discriminating, but it would be very hard to prove unless you have statements from them saying they are exactly basically.
1: And that's how a yeah. lot of employers get around this provision, or seem to now.
2: Yeah. Well, n- now we're at a point where it's it's uh, there's a stigma attached to discrimination against people with disabilities. Yes. And so everyone will say we are we are equal opportunity employers and a lot of them will say they inf- engage in affirmative action even. Um, but even the ones that are officially trying hard to c- counter discrimination it still occurs. And that's mostly because I think because of unconscious biases. They're yeah. they're more they're more likely to see someone of a group that's stigmatized as less intelligent or less capable, or so on, when they're not thinking, "I'm not going to hire this person because they uh, need a wheelchair to get around, uh, they're thinking this person doesn't seem as competent, yeah, and that's why I'm going to hire them and and okay. competency not in the issues of their disability but in other ways yeah and, and and that's all influenced by unconscious biases and things like that, which careful scientific psychological studies have demonstrated to exist in everyone. <laughs> so it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's uh, there certainly are things that go on today. I don't think there are anywhere near as many cases of people deliberately actively discriminating consciously, knowing that they're doing so, but there's, there's, there's uh, so the issues there are much more complex mm-hmm. yeah. than, right. than just, I don't want to hire you because you have a disability kind of thing. Yes. Although there is that, and that's yes. still technically legal in certain ways yep. uh, with the issue of lower pay for people with certain kinds of disabilities or like lower than minimum wage and things like that. Yeah. Um, or if they can make a judgment that this, this person isn't capable of doing the work when they might be wrong about that, <laughs> they might use it as a reason, uh, that kind of thing
0: now i I want to pivot and talk about um one uh what looking back from this side of history what seems like a pivotable pivotal point in disabled people advocating for themselves and advocating for the passage of the a d a It's the capital crawl and i I don't know how many of you have seen video of this, but I've seen video of it in my uh, American Sign Language classes, and it is, is moving. People with disabilities, people who had uh, physical disabilities, they went through the Capitol steps, they left behind their wheelchairs and their crutches and their canes, and they crawled up the stairs. They pulled themselves up the stairs however they could. And this was a a visceral display of what it was like to be disabled in America. Even the Capitol was inaccessible. So I want to talk about the impact of that particular image of people literally crawling their way up the Capitol steps. Liza, have you seen that footage? And, And what was that like for you, if you have?
1: Um... I don't remember
0: having seen it, surprisingly.
1: However, when I think about it, it just, I don't know what else to say.
0: Jeremy, how about you?
2: Well, it, it, I, I haven't seen the footage, but it certainly um, seems like the sort of thing that can make vivid uh, the realities, or at least one reality, that a lot of people just aren't familiar with. It, 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 mm-hmm. it, it shows them something. That they have been able in their entire life to ignore and not pay attention to, mm-hmm. and 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 um, so I, that certainly can have an impact on how people think about disability and the challenges that come with it.
0: Yeah, I've I've seen the footage a few times, and it's so much like, yeah, this, this right here. Um, People from all walks of life pulling themselves up the Capitol steps, demanding access to the seat of democracy in the mm. United States. That that that's something. That's right up there with uh uh Martin Luther King Jr. and the and the march on Washington. And yes. it's remarkable because it wasn't a huge group of people like um when folks marched on Washington during the civil rights movement, it was a handful of people, but it was a powerful symbol, a powerful image of what it's like to be disabled in America. And yes, and people finally seeing that, I think, moved
2: people. Can you uh, hear me? Uh, there are uh, apparently cases of members of Congress who who that changed their. Attitude toward the bill. It's reported that they that, they, they couldn't get in the building.
0: Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I mean, it's reported but, that some people were inconvenienced, and they, that helped them move them to support the Americans uh, with Disabilities Act. Okay, <laughs> like oh, oh, well, you were inconvenienced, so that's what convinced you to to.
2: Well, that's what drove home the the, the seriousness of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 if they If they hadn't been disconven- inconvenienced by it, they wouldn't have ta- had to take the time to reflect on
0: on this on this side of of history thirty one years from when the bill was signed into law, so I was heading for high school, and oh my goodness, and this was happening, and I remember thinking as I read the news about it, it's like, wait a minute, that wasn't already a thing. <laughs> yep you know the the fact that it took until 1990 just blew my mind as as a teenager getting ready to head into high school like wait we didn't this is america we didn't already do this the land of the free and the home of the brave we didn't already include people with disabilities in our laws what okay so you I mean, so, know
2: we we did. It's just that this expanded it significantly. <laughs> it's not yeah. like we didn't include in any level, but this expanded it much more significantly.
0: And the, the scope, I don't know how I found out about this as, as a high schooler or why it stuck in my memory. But the, the scope of the, the scope of the Americans with Disabilities Act, I'm like, wait, why didn't we do this before? Why, why wasn't this already a thing? Why is it just now being a thing? And I think you can see that. I started with this activist mindset at a very young age. Like, y'all, you know you're wrong. You know, y'all, you, know, you, know, you know this ain't right. You gotta fix it. And
1: it seems like, seems like your daughter is that exact uh, place right now. Oh my
0: goodness, yes, yes. She said things like, you know, I've told her to stop arguing with people online and, and things like that. And She's like, but they're wrong, mom. Like, oh, yeah. oh okay. Yeah, oh, that's my fault. Sorry. <laughs> now, and, and getting back on track, looking back from this side of history, what has been, I know what people said the impact of the ADA would be, but what has it actually been from your
2: perspective, from your point of view? Jeremy, you want to start? Well, I mean, if you take the ADA together with all the other things, their idea and, and so on, uh, it, it, it doesn't do so perfectly, but it, it recognizes the full value of every person. It sees a, as an important goal the inclusion of people with disabilities in regular activities and, and things that everyone else can just do. It sees differential treatment that that cannot be genuinely morally justified as wrong and tries to do what it can to limit that it in the 2008 reworking of it under, under the very end of the the second uh, George W. Bush's administration, that was an expansion of, of what counts as a disability to include things that can be somewhat corrected with accommodations and, and technology to still count it as a disability, even though we can accommodate it. And that was a major move itself, I think. And and, um, so, I mean, someone who is very hard of hearing but can function fairly well with hearing aids, for example, still counts as having a disability. That wasn't true in 1990, in the 1990 Act, right? So things like that uh, just allows us to, to take a large segment of our population as being among us, and, and, and they're, they're people, and we need to make sure they're counted as people. I, I think partly in the, the expansive definition of who has a disability, I don't know what the numbers are now, but, but it's, it's uh, politicians have had to count disabled people as part of who they need to talk to when they are running for office. You you just you simply just can't ignore this group because it's so large, and because of the expansive definition of it. Whether they're genuinely wanting to do so or not, they have to. And most of them now have come to a point where they do genuinely want to. They they uh, that's that's we the ADA has had that effect. I think the ADA and other other forces have had the effect where, at least in 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 our general attitude toward. Disability and people with disabilities. We, as a country, want to include people with disabilities. We want people with disabilities to be included. We want them to be treated as equals, and so on. And and, and there's now a stigmatization against doing so. Anyone who goes against that is seen as a terrible person. Uh, as and and um, that doesn't seem to be politically left or right at this point. That seems to be something that's simply correct. Uh, That doesn't mean people do it right. That doesn't mean they do it well. That doesn't mean they're aware of all the issues. But we've gotten to a point, as we have with race, where if someone can be correctly argued (laughs) that they are doing something wrong related to disability issues, there's an outcry. And that's a huge change, I think, from where we were as a country in, say, the 1970s or the 1960s for sure. The, the public attitudes about this have, have completely transformed. I think the ADA was a large step in that direction.
1: Well, I tend to be a little bit, anyone who knows me, tend to knows that I tend to be a little bit more focused on what we need rather than what we have and has happened. Not in a, I'm less thankful for it way, but in a, I focus on what needs to be done so that we can actually make those changes. So obviously, my take is going to be a little bit more, has done a lot, but there's so much that needs to, so much more needs to be done and so many ways that people end up getting around it. However, most of what I was going to say is probably just what Dr. Pierce just said in that. It did start to make a change and and the surrounding legislation, I think a lot of the time when we say ADA in this case, or at least me, when I see the ADA in this case. It's referring to not just that act itself, but all the other things surrounding it, like IDEA, like uh, before IDEA, EACHA, although that wasn't, that was already, I think, IDEA by the time that yeah, because they were past... They were, they were 1990,
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: so all the other things that surround it in the atmosphere of the ADA. However, I do think that it was definitely a start. Now the big issue is actually getting people to respect the regulations that are there and actually follow them. Because there's a lot of that not going on right now. I mean, there's a lot of people not following it going on at the moment. And interpretation and that sort of thing.
0: And there is a huge body of lawsuits that have been brought under the ADA focusing on violations of the requirements of the ADA. Yep. And some have been won. some have not. And it's a different playing field for people with disabilities now. We have the law backing us up when we want to participate. And this is the thing. It's about people being able to participate in life, participate in regular everyday things. And we find the barriers in the way. And the ADA has become a tool to help us remove those barriers from our ability to participate Mm -hmm. and as you've both alluded to yes there are people who are in decision-making positions who when they discover a barrier when a barrier is brought to their attention they actually work to remove it but there's those situations where you know somehow folks aren't connecting they're not understanding the the nature of the barrier, the influence of the barrier, and then people need to people rely on the aDA to help them remove that barrier from their lives to to give them back their ability to participate. Any last thoughts, comments, questions about the aDA its history, and how it's impacting our lives now jeremy well.
2: I think, as as Liza said, it's important to recognize how big a deal it is, and it's important to recognize what isn't there. So, it it's it's uh it needed to be expanded. 2008 was one a- example of that. Uh, it needed to be. Um, uh, there's other changes that need to happen. I think if they're going to make any changes in religious exemption, they're going to have to be very careful about what they do. Or they're going to have lawsuits that make First Amendment challenges, and um, I'm sure that the Supreme Court would uh, would uphold some of those challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The Supreme Court is unanimous in allowing religions to select their own clergy, regardless of just disc- they can discriminate all they want on any line that they feel like, because of the because of the religious. Uh, what do you call it? The uh, freedom of religious expression um so at least in the hiring of clergy there's no way they could make that a law without the supreme court overturning it but the the in terms of inclusion of people in their services and so on and providing accommodations and so i don't see how that interferes with religious practice at all so i that might be a change that could be made i think that could be a huge change and there's lots and lots of little things here and there that I think could be tweaked. Uh, they could add more things that count as disabilities and so on. So there's certainly room for improving the bill and, and uh, amending it in various ways. And um, the, the question is, how how easy is it going to be to get a critical mass of people who, uh, in a in a very politically divided moment, would would uh would coalesce to 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 pass a bill like this rather than having it be one party both the 1990 act and the 2008 expansion were wholeheartedly endorsed by both parties by the leadership of both parties there was opposition but that's what it took and that's what it would take to make further changes unless the courts are just a- applying precedent and and their reading of the law as it is, or their interpretation of the constitution. So I don't know how easy it would be to make any further changes, especially right right now, when the two parties uh, don't want to do anything together and presidents don't want to sit down with the opposition members of Congress. Uh, I mean, Biden has done a little bit more on that than the previous two people. So there's hope for that to occur, but (laughs) no one's talking about this with disability right now. There's other concerns they all have.
1: Everything is just so much more partisan now, I think. And I think it's going to be pretty difficult for any of the changes that are needed to actually be made. But there are changes. We've come quite a ways, but there still are numerous things that need to be changed and adapted and that sort of thing. So that's, that's I guess, my last word on this.
0: Partisan hackery is such a pain.
2: Please, oh, and I, I think if the, if Congress were willing to just like pass a small law here or there, it would be fine. They would all agree with it. But they want to package everything into these huge things, and then there's one little thing that that, that one side doesn't like, and so they won't vote for it. Rather than just passing the one thing everyone agrees on, mm. yeah, they just won't uh, do that. And that's just bad government governing. Yeah. So yeah.
0: on on that note. You have been listening to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability. Our conversation today was about the ADA, which is 31 years old this year, uh, with a little sidebar into all sorts of things, because that's how life is. I am your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. We are sponsored by NeuroDiversityConsulting.org and Sanchia.org. Check us out on the web to find out about all the great things we do with people with disabilities. We're also sponsored by Straight Independent Radio. Check us out on the web at straight, with an A, Thank you, Liza and Jeremy, for joining us and having this conversation. I hope you're doing okay. And we will have another great conversation next time about the things that impact the lives of people with disabilities.